Welcome to episode 114. Today, the always inspiring Emily Francis joins us to share about her new book. Welcome to the Teaching Multilingual Learners podcast. This podcast celebrates teachers who answer the calling to serve multilingual students and their families. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. I remember when I first started teaching. I saw a clear division between my life and my students' lives. My job was to teach them, and their job was to learn. I didn't feel comfortable sharing my personal stories with them, and I didn't want them to share their stories with me. Can you tell I was a first-year teacher? My perspective back then was a medical model of teaching. Keep learning sterile and professional. Looking back, I realized how misguided I was and how many opportunities I missed to learn more about students and integrate their experiences into the instruction. This is exactly what Emily Francis talks about in her book. In this episode, she'll share her stories and those of her students. And from these stories, we can come to see our practice and our students in a different light. Now, on to today's podcast. It's such an honor to have a superhero, one of my mentors, one of my colleagues, Miss Emily Francis on the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Emily. Ah, so exciting. <laughs> Well, I'm excited to have you because your presentations, your story, your passion is so evident in everything you do. From you being on Ellen, we were, were like the whole field was just clapping and crying to see that. And then watching your webinars, your presentations, I'm like, wow, I am just, my heart expands every time I watch you present. Ditto. I feel the same about you. It's such an honor. So when I got your message and it's just, I feel like you're such a huge idol for our field that I'm like, oh my gosh, she's inviting me. So it's, I feel the same way. So oh, I respect for everything you do for our field. <laughs> when people say that, I always say we're on this march together. And so it's, we are doing the work together. Juntos. Very true. Very true. So can you tell us about your context, your teaching context right now? Yeah, so right now I'm working at the high school level. This is my fourth year teaching at the high school level. So I teach English as a second language. I have students from ninth grade to 12th grade, students who had just arrived yesterday <laughs> to students who have been here, you know, long-term EL. So I serve about 117 students at the high school level. Just. That's it. Of course, I have help this year. So thank goodness. And I know <laughs> pre-recording, we talked about um, you working with newcomers, 
and there's no curriculum and you created your own. And I know that sometimes you offer, you're so kind to offer a free webinar both on Thursday and Saturday of this week and you were, and people, it was, it was filled, the registration was filled. And so that's, that's an testament to your knowledge and your passion and, and your expertise. Well, thank you. You know, as a beginner as a high school level and really as a beginner ESL teacher, this is just my 10th year as an ESL teacher. So I kind of feel like a baby ESL teacher. <laughs> I'm still learning. So it's hard to put lessons together when your district does not have a curriculum available to teach newcomers. You know, those are our most vulnerable students and we need to have like the best of the best, you know. And for me, it's not that I want a scripted lesson, but I want something to go by and when there's no means for that and we have to create it so it takes time it takes like evenings it takes weekends to create those stuff so whenever I do come up with a lesson that my students thrive I share away because if it works in my classroom I know it's going to work everywhere else so I like to share it absolutely and that's why we're so always excited to follow you because you give us a glimpse into your world and a glimpse into the possibilities that we can do with our students. Absolutely. And I think that's kind of the idea, right? Like, hey, look what I'm doing inside these four walls. Let's go ahead and take it outside. And my students know, they know that I'm always following them, taking them pictures, and they know it's going to be posted somewhere, whether it's Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, it's going viral. <laughs> that's what they say. This phrase is going to take me viral. And it's true. Like two just a couple of days ago, I shared a picture of my students doing sketches after listening for a read out loud. An author picked it up. By the way, Valentina Gonzalez. Author Valentina Gonzalez is requesting my students' work. So, you know, that, that says a lot about what our students are doing in the classroom and the reasons why it's okay and it's great to share what we're doing. And this is another plug for why teachers who are not yet on Twitter to be on Twitter because we get to be in rooms like yours and you get we get to share the successes like students like yours sure. Spe speaking of authoring books you're going to be authoring a book right now by the time this podcast is published it would already be the books are already out in the teacher's hands now I sure hope so. I don't know. It's still in the process, but I am joining the Silence Education, just like you are as author of Silence Education Publishing Company. So John Silence um, gave me the uh, gave me the honor and the privilege to join, and we are working on our book. Yes, and it's going to be filled with stories and stories. Ah, so excited. <laughs> well, speaking of stories, can you start us off with a story that? Um, you've experienced that has stayed with you in, in education? And I'm gonna start with my very first year as an ESL teacher. And that was back in 2012 when I, when I started working as an ESL teacher. So I got a student, I got called to the office and hey, we're enrolling a newcomer from Mexico. That was my first year. That was my very first chance to start practicing what I have been reading, you know, the Collier and Thomas about working in two languages and all of that that I have learned through college and that has liberated me as an English learner. I wanted to practice that with my newcomer. So as soon as Jose 
came through the door. I'm like, Jose, and I started talking to him in Spanish. I, I did an assessment to see how much he can read, how much he can write, because I told him, I said, honey, if you know how to read and how to write in your home language, second language is going to be a piece of cake, I promise you, but we're going to use what you already know. You know, I've read all this stuff, all this language acquisition that if they better themselves in L1, and L2 is going to be kicking in. So I talked to teachers and he started doing presentations in front of all of his friends, like presentations in Spanish, doing research in Spanish. I mean, of course, I'm at the same time, we were supporting his second language acquisition. You know, we were giving him ESL classes and he was acquiring both at the same time. So he enrolled at a third grade level. By the time he left me for fifth grade to go to middle school, he had exited ESL. He had exited ESL. So I sent him out to middle school with no ESL, just a monitor status. And it works. I mean, it was proof to me that it works when you focus on L1 and then, of course, support the L2. The system works. The language acquisition process is beautiful. And if we honor that, it works. So as soon as that experiment went through... <laughs> I started doing that the rest of my career. So this is my 10th year putting in practice what I've learned from the very beginning. Right. I still remember my master's course, the, the professor was like, please have students use their first language in classes. And I was like, no, no way. Why would you want to do that? And I gave her an example and I said, if you want kids to learn how to ride a bicycle, have them get on the bicycle. She's like, those are two different analogies. Those are two different things. And then whether she said, if you're going to use that analogy, here you go. A kid learning how to ride a bicycle in Mexico can learn how to ride a bike in America, in Canada, wow. right? She's like, yeah. the skill doesn't change, right? Exactly. It's just a different right. bike. Yeah. And I think the limits, someone said, I think Ludwig said, the limits, uh, the, lang the limits of my language is the limits of my world. And when yeah. we limit students' first languages in the use of school, we limit their world. We limit their access to a new world. But we Absolutely. almost limit, we're saying their culture, their language is not part of this world. Exactly. And we force them to separate those two when it really shouldn't be. You know, they should intertwine. They should grow together. You know, I'm, you're still using my home language and, and they go home and they say, hey, I need to keep practicing my home language because I'm using it at school versus I don't want to speak my home language anymore because they only want English. You know, that was the mistake that happened in my experience. And we don't want that to happen anymore with our students. Well, let's talk about the structure of your book. You gave me the table of contents. And when I looked at it, I was like, oh my goodness, this is a book of stories. And I was like, what a yeah. different way of uh, teaching because Seidlitz books are, are a very uh, clear structure. And this structure is oh, another clear structure using stories. And I was like, wow, fascinating. Yeah. So what is the seed of this uh, book? I think the seed of the book is the relationships that I have built with students has led to learning their stories. I think once you build a very strong relationship with students, they open up to you and they begin sharing their stories. And to me, stories just are core 
to who we are, what we do and how we do things. Cause that's what I do. And I really think if I do it like that as a language learner, then my students will too. So learning their stories and getting close to them and their families and learning about their backgrounds and their journeys, that just, you know, that's the seed of everything, who they are and what we do in the classroom. So, you know, when we talked with John Silas about how this book was going to go, my stories began to pour out and he was like, whoa, that's it. That's it. You know, because it, it just, it was in me, like all those stories kept pouring for him to hear. And it, if it impacted him, I'm sure it will impact our readers. Right, right. Stories, Stories are the things that change society and change hearts and change minds, right? For sure. I still remember the stories that you gave when you were at South Carolina and you talked about working. I did not know that you worked in a grocery store, right? Well, yeah, you learn. Right. And then I did not know that you were like, you know what? I am better than this. I can do this. Like, I know my potential right, is not fully met right now. I'm not saying that people who work, who work in grocery stores are not better or not good. We're saying, yeah. oh, this is the thing, this is not where I'm meant to be right now. And so you decided to uh, apply for a position, uh, like a, an assistant position. Yeah. And then you got the job and you were like, and then you, the, the story kept evolving. And I was like, oh. and your teacher, I think one of your teacher that you were work, teachers you were working with said, I want you to apply to this position. I said, yeah. Right, right. And see, that's the importance about listening to other stories, because as I hear you right now, retelling my story, I feel validated. I feel heard. I feel seen by you because you heard my story. You paid attention to it. Now you are processing it by, you know, applying it to your own understanding. And so that's what stories do. You know, you hear your students' stories, you soak it in, and then you say them out loud by sharing it with others. And I think that's the power in it, that when students see and hear, just like you did right now, you just reaffirmed my story. You just reaffirmed my experiences. So I feel special. I feel powerful. I feel seen. And that's what matters. Yes. And that goes back to the concept of relationships. When, when students see our stories, they start to trust us a little more. They see that we're vulnerable with them. When we see their stories, we start to see their assets, what they can do, and then we start to validate each other. And I think Dr. Sims Bishop said that stories are like windows, mirrors, and sliding glass doors, right? And so the fact that you said, I felt validated when you shared your story back, when you when I retold your story, it's like a mirror. And you say like, hey, I see you. I see you in the best way. Right. Absolutely. So mm. speaking of stories, let's talk about uh, well, let me pull back. So before we get to the stories, um, who did you write this book for? Really, I think the intention is for all students. I do want the targeted students to be English language learners because most of my stories, my stories are focused on ELLs. But really, if you we go back to what you just said, Dr. Bishop talked about windows and mirrors. If a monolingual English speaker who has never experienced anything that is happening in these stories, that, that becomes a window, right? Like, wow, I didn't know about you know, students next to me living this kind of life outside of the, the classroom. So 
really is for all students in general. Yeah, I need students who have never seen or heard experiences like ours to know that we are, you know, in the classroom surviving the same thing that they're doing with different battles. And also for ELLs to know that their stories are important. They need to understand that we are, we need a mirror. They need to see that if it's in a book, then it's important to be told. You know, students are never going to tell their stories like personally, like I never told my story until Carol read it and you and said, you need to share it. Like right now, I needed that little push. I needed that little um, encouragement. And that's what I want my book to do. I want students to be encouraged to tell their stories. Carol always shares about how you, she, she read your story and students were like, they were so impressed. They were so moved. They even had you come into to Skype in. And like, yeah. because, because they saw their stories yeah. lived through you. And they're like, wow, if she can do this and she had the exact same experience, I can do this too. That's exactly, that's the purpose. That's the purpose for students to see that there are books out there that are representing their experiences and that in, that becomes a validation tool like for them to say well if that's written then my story is also important to tell and that's when they become authors of their own stories well would you be able to share some stories with us i could probably share a couple yes. john Tyler is in anatomy yeah <laughs> This is, this is post the publishing. This is great because it'll get people to uh, purchase and read the book. Yeah, of course. Well, two stories. I'm going to share two. Um, one of the reasons why I moved from the elementary. So I, were, I was an ESL teacher at the elementary level for six years. And I swore I was never going to get out of elementary. That was it. I was going to die in the elementary school because I love being on the floor, just touching, you know, making pictures. And uh, it just, I love elementary years uh, as little kids. But in the end, one summer in um, 2018, I took a two-week summer job to teach newcomers at the high school. I figured it's only two weeks. You know, I could do this. I'm going to get out, out of there and then I go back to my elementary. Well, little did I know I was going to meet one of my students. And these, this student, as soon as he walked in, he had this energy. And oh, my gosh, it was like me back 15 years old. You know, I was like, that's me in a boy version. And he's from Guatemala. He was so excited to be there. He didn't speak English. So he was just blurting, hi, how are you? How are you? Like it, whatever he knew how to say, he will say it. He didn't care about me. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so me. But at the same time, he was scared that he was starting high school and he didn't speak English. And they thought he was going to make, they were going to make fun of him. And he wanted to graduate high school. And it was like, watching me right there you know that's me I need to help him like I need to be with this kid and that's how I decided to move on to the high school high school uh, level and what a coincidence really that is divine intervention I should say that that school where Jorge is attending is the school that had an ESL opening available and I started working there with him and he graduated just two summers ago. So that's one of the stories. I know there's more to tell about his life, but um, it's funny how I tell his story and then I tell mine and we're intertwined, how we connected. Right. 
wonderful, wonderful story. There's more to, to learn about him. And the other one is uh, one of my students who we both experienced being separated from our mother. We both experienced being the older sister. We both experienced taking care of our younger sister and you know, being in high school, not being able to speak English, being made fun of in the classroom, battling content and language, and just being able to tell her story and validate who she is versus her deficiencies. And then, of course, I tell my story and I say, how is it that we're alike? And it's just wonderful to see how last summer she graduated, so she was able to accomplish her goals and she's joining the military now, so her dreams did come true <laughs> or they are coming true so these are just a couple of examples of the stories that you'll hear and they're intertwined with my story as well right i think that um, in every student stories we live in their stories because right? they we the things that we do with them how we structure our lessons but how we create relationships with them they remember that and so for Jorge and for this other student, they will always remember you as mm -hmm. such a positive, reaffirming person in their life who really said, you can do this. I believe in you. Absolutely. And it's just in the relationship when it went, when they reach out to you after they have left high school, that's how you know that the relationship was deeper than just content, you know, like, hey, you know, like whether I have a baby or there's, you know, something ex excellent in their life that has nothing to do with school, but because you have built that relationship, you know, years ago in school, they, they still keep you in mind and they, you know, can you come to my party or, Hey, my sister is graduating, come to our party. You know, it's just so good to hear those long-term relationships that we build while we're in the classroom. Yeah. That's, that's the goal, right? Right. right. <laughs> And as much as we are in their stories, they are forever in our stories. Because when I always, okay. when I share, I always think about the things that students have taught me that I didn't learn. Like the, for example, I worked with a Chinese girl and she came in grade seven with very little English, almost none, but she was very fluent in Chinese. And I was like, we can't enroll her into this school. She's not mm -hmm. going to be able to graduate within five years, what are we doing? Why are we doing this, right? And the principal was yeah. like, no, we teach the student that's in front of us, we're not fortune tellers. And so that story has stayed with me forever. And wow. then she did graduate oh, and she is God. wonderful. And like, I am so ashamed. I keep sharing that story because it's like a teaching teacher confessional story where I'm like, yeah, have those. <laughs> right, like I, I'm confessing that I didn't believe in a student. And yet wow. the student was like, no, no, no. I believe in myself before others uh, for her a person who was supposed to advocate for her didn't believe in her but she did right? and that's the story that i'm like wow i learned a lesson to yeah. never judge a student never foretell what the student can do in the future think about what yeah. they can do now exactly love it love it and I, I love when students come you know and i really i'm a truly believer that their experiences have pushed them to say I'm going to stand up for myself, even if right. you don't believe in me, because look what I've done, look where I've been. And they are encouraged to stand up and advocate for themselves. That's powerful. Right. So what are some, so before not giving us more details about your story, the stories in your book, uh, can you tell us some lessons, the main messages that you, that the student stories can teach teachers? 
I think it will be building empathy. You know, I think there is so much in classrooms, so much focus and content and test and being able to pass such a great level, which I mean, I'm not against it. We're teachers, we're getting paid to teach our students. I'm not saying that. So please don't take me wrong. I'm getting paid to be a teacher. But I think our students have a powerful way to influence us when it comes to becoming more empathetic and more global aware of what's happening outside this walls, you know? So if our students begin to have the opportunity to share their stories, then a teacher can have a different perspective and say, well, instead of, you know, well, his student, he just came here. I'm going to help the student acquire the language versus getting a hundred on this test. That's a different perspective. And I think that's something that our newcomers are really needing uh, people to have the empathy that understands their struggles, that understands where they've been, that they're capable to a lot. But, you know, language has a process. And at the same time, you know, content has to be intertwined with their language process. So I really think students' stories hold a, a, the key and the power to change minds in, in teachers' um, pedagogy, you know, like, if as soon as a teacher has a different mindset of empathy and a different world perspective, then the materials that I choose, the books that I choose, the way I organize the room, it's all based on what I've learned from students. So uh, that's what I'm hoping. Can you tell us about a little bit about your story of getting here? Yes, of course. So I, I think that's why I'm a huge advocate on um talking to teachers about student stories because I was never given that opportunity. And I really think, again, going back to students having the power to help teachers help students because they can't, they can't guess what we've been through unless we tell them, right? Unless the student speaks and says it. So I came to the United States at the age of 15 years old and with I didn't know the language, the English language, but everything a teacher could see was a 15 year old coming to high school with no English language. And that was the image that they had. And they stuck to that image versus let me find out about her. So I lived in Guatemala for 15 years, 13 years taking care of my siblings you know, changing diapers and cooking and doing the grocery shopping and selling oranges at the market and, you know, trying to help my mother who is a single mother of five children as the oldest of five. My job was to help with all the siblings. And I mean, I did it with all my heart. So I was very passionate about taking care of my siblings. I was very passionate about, you know, how to manage my money. So I knew how to do so much. And those experiences that I lived in my country, really build a very strong foundation to who I am today as an educator. But a teacher, when they see me, all they see is, oh, this poor kid doesn't speak English, you know? So I come here to the United States with all these stories, with all this passion to become a high school graduate who goes to college and becomes a teacher because the seed to be a teacher was in my heart from the very beginning. So I wanted to, I knew I could be a really good teacher. I mean, I've been a really good sister. <laughs> I mean, why not a good teacher, right? So 
but it's just it seems like all the journeys and all the experiences that I brought from my home country stayed packed in you know there's a great book if you've never read it Juchi Morales has a, has a picture book called Dreamers Soñadores in this book she is just like me like we left our home countries and we packed in a little backpack all our essentials you know I know how to read I know how to write I know how to speak I know how to do critical thinking I I am I know how to do grocery shopping like all of those contents and Yuji Morales does that too before she crosses over she has a backpack with all her essentials so what happens is when we come here if those essentials are not affirmed and they're not recognized if they're not asked about they stay packed in so if you look at Yuji Morales book she stays with that backpack with all her essentials packed in until somebody not even somebody until she goes to the library and she begins opening books that represents her journey all her essentials begin to fly out of her backpack that's what happened to me so I kept my little you know, journey all packed in because I never, I was never told, hey, tell me your story. Hey, tell me where you've been. Tell me what you can do versus what you cannot. So I dropped out of high school. I became a cashier, you know, carrying that journey of sorrow and failure on my shoulders until I was asked by Angie Power, tell me your story. And this is the teacher who after hearing my story, started believing in me and gave me the courage that my experiences can do so much to help me become who I really want to do. And that's, I put myself through GED, getting my GED and going to, um, you know, getting my associates, my bachelor's, my master's all the way. And eventually I'll go for my PhD because I know I can, you know, I know I can, but it wasn't until I started hearing someone reaffirming my identity that I started recognizing that I am capable to so much more. So this is why I'm so passionate about giving students the opportunity to tell their stories because that helps teachers see them for who they are versus, oh, he can't pass the test. Oh, he can't speak English. Oh, no, we got to pass those labels and really see the student recognize what they've been and know that those experiences become core to what they are going to do in the future in their lives because I consider myself a world changer I mean I'm changing lives in the classroom so my students too what potential do they have that they can become also world changers but I have to tap into those stories I have to tap into those potentials because if I don't they're going to stay packed in and they're never going to use it to change the world. So that's my little story in a nutshell. <laughs> I still remember the first part of your story when you reminded me that you were selling oranges in uh, Guatemala. And I was like, oh my goodness. That's right, your yeah. mom went to America to live, to work, right? And then you were responsible. You were the head of the family. You were taking care of your other siblings. And I was like, at the age of 13, like. Yeah. Look at all those problem-solving skills. Look at all those self-management skills. Look at all those management skills, those relationship skills, those business skills of selling oranges, right? Exactly. And I was just, like so moved that like 
if someone would have asked me to, at the age of 13, take care of human lives, I'd be like, are you sure you want me to do this? Because I don't think many of them will be alive and left. Right? <laughs> you know, that's exactly what I told uh, Angie Power when they interviewed me for the teacher position. I said, listen, I may not know how to teach your students, but they're so, they'll survive. Like I'll grab a book, <laughs> they'll survive. If you leave, if you have to walk away from the classroom and leave me there with those kids, I may not know what to teach them. I, you know, first of all, I had only been in the U.S. for four years. So my English was just, you know, getting started. Basically, basic English, I that was all I had acquired. So I was like, I'll just grab a book and read, but they'll make it through. <laughs> I'm just so impressed. You just, yeah. I mean, the fact that you came to the U.S. as a teenager, yeah. and then you've progressed this far. This is the this is the limitless potential in each and every one of our students if we just yeah. believe in them. Yeah. Right? Believe in them and really help them see beyond what they see right now. Right, right. So if I can just go back to one of the stories uh, when I cross over the borders we stopped at Mexico City and my sisters and I just walking around the streets because we were waiting for our paperwork to, to get through, to make it to the U.S. And we stopped at this monument, it's beautiful. Today I know it as El Angel de la Independencia. Back then I had no idea. So it's a very iconic monument. And here am I looking at it, so beautiful, but I knew I didn't belong there. I'm like, what am I doing here? So as a 15-year-old, your experiences in that moment are so close-minded, you know, like, this is what I'm going through, and poor me. And so as an adult, as a, as a teacher, our job is to see, help them see beyond the moment. So that right there, 25 years later, I'm standing at the same spot right there in that Angel de la Independencia as a teacher leader with 42 teachers from North Carolina teaching him what it is to be an immigrant in Mexico. Look at that. So as a 15-year-old, it never crossed my mind that that experience right there was going to, it was shaping, it was shaping my future. And I had no clue. So I think as teachers, when we get to know our students' potentials and their stories, we can help them paint a big picture. Like, what is it that they can do? Because it's so hard as a 15, 16-year-old to see what you can really accomplish, you know, in the future. Right. Especially all those hormones and all that mess that they have to do. <laughs> well, it seems like um, every Everything that happens to us, I think I was listening to Oprah and she said, yes, I've had a rough beginning. This is what Oprah said. She said, but I would never trade it for anything else because what the things that happened to me have made me who I am today. I love it. I love it. Yes. Yes. And like Hamish says in his, you know, in his book, it, uh, there are, it's our greatest gift. It's a gift. The journeys and the experiences that we have gone through are our gift. So why are we going to keep it wrapped in when we can just show it out to the world? Right. So we have only about 20 more minutes, but I want to talk to you about two things. You talked about um, the pro process of learning language twice now. So that's why I, that's, I remember now where I paused and I was like, wait, I want oh. to say. So <laughs> my question is, 
Let's talk about the process of learning language. You talked about it twice now. So what is your, uh, what is the I'm, field setting? Go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm big on that. So when I had my first child, I was 20 years old. I had not started learning about this beauty of second language acquisition. I had my child and because of the struggle I had been through in school, I didn't want my child to go through that. So that's it. Spanish was at the window. You know, he is not going to learn Spanish. He, nobody was allowed to talk to him. He was just going to learn English. I wanted him to learn how to read, how to write. So by the time he starts kindergarten, he's fluent. And I did it. He made it to school. He didn't speak in a word in Spanish, but he knew how to read. He knew how to write in English. And then I put myself through college. And I began reading this little tiny book. And I think the book is, uh, I don't know, let me see how many pages. It's, it's so tiny, no kidding. 37, 38 pages, Promoting Academic Success for ESL is by um, Virginia Collier. And I start reading about the process of second language acquisition and how the brain is powerful enough to soak in two languages at the same time. And the student can learn content in two languages that, oh, my gosh, here am I regretting what I ever had done with my son and promise myself not to do that again with my next child or my students. So, you know, in the book, not only it helped me have that perspective perspective for my students but for myself as a second language acquisition myself a learner second language learner I needed to understand how is it that I acquired this second language you know second language as a process and when I was in high school as a first year in the U.S. there was such a huge burden on my shoulder I need to speak English I need to learn proficient English you know we put a burden on our students shoulders by telling them that they have to learn the language fast when really there is a process, they learn a word, they learn a phrase, they learn a sentence, they learn, you know, and then a story. So if we don't respect that process, we are putting burden on a student's shoulders and our parents and, you know, teachers as well. So it's important to understand how language works. <laughs> it's very similar to, uh, your story is very similar to mine. When I was teaching in Louisiana my first two years, uh, there was an opportunity for me to learn about uh, PSYOP model with Dr. and Jenna Echeverria. And I was like, that was a light bulb moment. That was a career shifting moment to me because I never thought that uh, ESL students could be actually in the same room as other students in the same grade. I always thought, oh, no, no, no. They need to they be pulled to. out, right? Yeah. Let's separate them out. Let's give them segregated education. And segregation wow. is never equal. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Let's have them work, learn the ABCs, have them learn the colors of the rainbow, have them learn like pencil, paper, bus, all these words <laughs> first. Let's not have them learn the word photosynthesis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But still at the end of the year, let's give them a test, the state meditated <laughs> test. Right. Wow. And so- We just, fail them. Right, yeah. we fail, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, the and I think that it goes back to your your story of your son thank you for sharing that you said like the concept that l1 is not a barrier it's actually the foundation for all learning exactly. particularly exactly. learning new language right that's right that's right and i see that now with my daughter she's seven and she's on her third year of dual language 
And I mean, she comes home, you know, telling me, hey, no me gusta mi amiga. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> I was like, what? You know, she's just, I love that. And, and she calls herself a Latina, you know, so that's so cool, even though she's white, blue eyed. <laughs> and it's so beautiful to hear that. And, and, and it just makes me feel so much better knowing that. I am allowing those two languages to grow. So I do that with students too. As soon as they come, yes, my job as an ESL teacher is to teach them the English of, you know, have the process of English language and acquire the language, but it goes beyond that. It goes to creating relationships, highlighting their culture, making them feel comfortable on campus. I still remember, I think one of my, when you shared your story about um, not having your son learn Spanish, the intent and impact are two different things, right? Like you, your, your intentions were like to to give your son uh, a, a go ahead, uh, to go ahead of others, to right. be more prepared for school, right? And yet, yeah. this is what, and the research shows is opposite, right? And that that's because we didn't know enough, right? At that time, we didn't know, and that's not a finger pointing at all. But I guess what yeah. I'm trying to say is that when we do this at school, parents pick it up. And parents say, "Yes, that's right. I don't want my kid to speak English." So I'm, uh, I'm imagining my mom, someone saying, "You really shouldn't speak Vietnamese to your kid." What relationship? What would I've like? I have a, I have a, I have a wonderful relationship with my mom now, but because we kept it, we kept Vietnamese. But when I look at my nieces and my nephew and the way they talk to my mom mm -hmm. in only in English, the relationship oh. is not as vibrant, robust as the relationship my sister and I have with my mom because yeah. we're speaking in the language that she's comfortable with. Right. My son is right now 21 years old and that myth still exists in our parents. Like they are, you know, you go to the supermarket, you go to, you know, just right now I went to CeCe's Pizza and here's a family. The mom is speaking to them in Spanish and the kids are answering in English. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, because that myth that, you no, know, they have to just speak English. And, 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 but if we are not reaffirming home language in the classroom, it's not going to happen at home. So the kid has to go home and say, wow, my teacher is letting me talk, you know, in home language. Can you believe that? So when mom hears that, it's like, wow, are they accepting your language? Then let's, let's keep it on. Let's keep sharing our language. But yeah, there's not enough. There's not enough validation in the classrooms when it comes to languages. You know, what experience, one experience I had two years ago when I went to Germany, we walked into this classroom and the teacher is doing a read aloud in Germany. Okay. So the teacher is reading and reading and reading. Next thing you know, she pauses the read aloud and zoom, students turn into groups. This group is sharing in French. This group is sharing in Spanish. This group is sharing in German. This group is sharing in English, like four languages. And we're like, what? Why, why isn't this happening in America when we have so many languages? But why? Because we have teachers. Oh, English only, English only. You know, sometimes we're just afraid that they are going to speak something against them. But I really think in believing in building a culture where the student speaks home language and this, the teacher doesn't feel like they're saying something against the teacher. Um, but it takes time to build that culture. Right, that trust, yeah. yeah. So you're, you talked about myths and I, I think about Dr. Sonia Sodero, who she talked in her book, she, there, she said that there are nine myths 
around uh, language acquisition. And uh, so I would just recommend people to go there. I'll link it in my notes as well. It's a transformational uh, about the myths and then how we can change those myths. And one of them that you just talked about is that home language, using language at home in school mm -hmm. or limiting language use helps English develop, right? And that's a myth. There you go. So let's talk about this last, one of these two last questions. Uh, the, so you talked about in the future, tomorrow you're gonna have a course or you're gonna be having a webinar with teachers about creating lessons for newcomers. And yeah. one of the most read articles on my blog is the one that you posted, the guest yes. posted, and people are still downloading the, they're still they're still downloading the, rubri the reader rubrics on how to like grade newcomers. Like what, three years ago that I wrote it or more, I think. Yes, yes. yes. I am very passionate when it comes to doing what's best for newcomers. And again, that passion comes back to what I experienced and what would I wish teachers would have done different with me, you know, or for me. So I, I try to do lessons. So I did, I put out um, a picture and an invitation for teachers to join me to brainstorm because I'm running out of lessons. <laughs> like, you know, I'm like, I need some lessons. So let's get together. Let me be, if I have 20, 30 teachers say, I'll join you, that would be great. So I send the invitation. Who wants to join me? We'll meet once a, a month to, in a webinar to, to talk about lessons. I mean, it, it's, it's gone crazy. Like I've, I have a hundred and, 60 people signed up and we're meeting on Thursday we're double dipping Saturday because I couldn't put all of them in one group so a lot of teachers out there are really thirsty for compelling lessons that are, to, are doing two things one is teaching the English language because that's what we're being paid for to teach English as a second language and two is honoring their backgrounds, using lessons that are compelling, kind of like what Carol Salva says in her book. We have to use compelling texts of Stephen Krashen, right? We have to use compelling literature in order to help them with the language acquisition. They're having so much fun in my class that they don't even know they're learning a second language. So those are the lessons. <laughs> That's what Krashen says. I love him. Anything that he writes, I read because he transformed my whole you know, her, him and um, Virginia Collier, just, I love everything they say about second language acquisition. So yeah, this group is meeting once a month through Zoom, and we're talking about ideas on how to build great lessons for newcomers. And we're also using Twitter space. If you have never used it, it's a chat where you can just hear people. You don't type your responses, you just hear people. So I have about 40 people who meet every Thursday night. So here we are, transforming lives. <laughs> <laughs> One webinar at a time. Exactly. <laughs> so I think this is a, a clear sign that you should have a course because there are 160 people, they're ready exactly. for you. Yes, because it's, okay. I, 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 so with Carol and Katie and my book that we, we, we just wrote, we learned that one-off professional workshops don't work, right? Mm -hmm. But it's like continual, the process of continuously learning again and again and adding and adding throughout the whole year, that's wow. where the learning works. Right. That's good to know. Definitely good to know. Because I do, I, I, and we're planning for this to be a consistent meeting. So right. that's good to know. Right. So what are some things you're going to share about working with newcomers at the lesson level? 
Well, first, I'm I'm gonna start with the methods that I use. So every time we meet, I'm gonna I'm planning on sharing the methods that I use. So this past Thursday, I shared the uh, chunk and chew. So chunk and chew is like you chunk, you you give the lesson for ten minutes, and then you let them chew. So you pause and you let them either talk or write, so they can process what you told them. Because newcomers cannot sustain a forty-five minute talk. So ten minutes, yeah, ten minutes, and then process ten minutes and process. So I talked about that method that I use, and the other method I use is uh, think, pair, share. You know, and a lot of times we think, oh, we're just going to have them turn and talk. But it's, it goes beyond that. It's just making sure that you let your um, providing activities so they can interact with one another. They can share their ideas with one another and then share with the entire class. So those are the two methods that um, I use in my classroom and I shared this past Thursday. And we're also, you know, we're talking about building uh, units and building, you know, wh what standards are we using? So it, we're at the beginning stages. So we'll see how this goes. Emily, I can already feel like it's a, it's a second book that you're going to write. <laughs> Let's get the first one done. First. <laughs> I, look, I believe there are books and books and books that are come out of you. Wonderful. So waiting. good to hear. Thank you so much. <laughs> so let's end the podcast this way with traffic light teaching. So traffic light teaching is uh, consists of a red light, which is something that you ask teachers to stop doing. Yellow light is something that you ask teachers to do to help them slow down their practice. Like when we get to a yellow light, we should slow down, right? <laughs> Most of us yeah. should slow down. And then green light is something that you ask teachers to do as much as possible. All right, so something you need to stop doing is so much talking. You know, teachers need to need to stop the talking. And I think sometimes we are so in love with our content, especially at the high school level. I love math, so I can talk about it for hours. You can talk about it for hours, but they cannot listen for hours. <laughs> so stop sharing for so long. You know, even if, if you have an hour lesson, then break it apart. So stop sharing for so long and break your lessons apart. Share for 20 minutes and let them engage. Share for another 20 minutes, let them engage. So stop the long lectures because it doesn't even work for adults. I cannot sustain a lecture for an hour. I'll be thinking about what I'm doing for dinner, you know, like my mind is somewhere else. Um slow down oh my goodness what do i want teachers to go ahead and slow down is um oh my gosh you got me there it's okay you don't have to answer that we can just do the green all right let's go let's go right. slow down um maybe if we can go with the slow down i will say uh take time to get to know your students you know it, do it doesn't start the first two days of school so slow down when it comes to learning your students' stories. It could take all year. So if you meet them in August, it doesn't have to be just August when you get to know your student. You can get them to know them in January. You can get to know them in March. And maybe by May or June, wow, you'll find out something about your students. So slow down the way you want to learn about your students, especially when it comes to their stories. You can't force a story out of a student. No because you know you have to build a relationship for them to share uh, and 
go is let them use home language in the classroom. Just go for it. Just let them, even if you don't understand it. Like, I don't understand Arabic, but my Arabic students are over there, blah, 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 blah. I have no idea what they're saying. As long as they're working, I know they're on task. So go for it. Just take the chance and let students build that culture where it's acceptable. How's that? Those are amazing. <laughs> well, you did it, Emily, and you did it with your stories. And I think you provide your stories provide the humanity in our work. There are strategies and there is research, but you provide the heart. And I think everything that has happened to us serves others. And the things that have happened to you, you have taken them to serve others in this field. So we are so grateful for your contribution. And we're so excited for where your story is going to go next. Oh, my goodness. I can't wait. I can't wait, really. I, I want to be in every student's heart. That's where, I, that's where I want my story to be, in every student's heart and mind. Thank well, you, you so much for having me. It's, it's such an honor well, to be here. You are in my heart as well as, as the oh, listeners yeah. who are listening today. <laughs> I'm honored. Thank you. Before we recap this episode, I have a favor and an invitation. My favor is to ask you to please review this podcast if you found it valuable so that teachers like you become inspired and informed in their advocacy work. My invitation is for you to enroll in my scaffolding learning or teacher collaboration courses. I've taken the principles that I've learned from experts in the field I've applied them to my classes. I kept the things that worked and I'm sharing all of them in these courses. I hope you consider enrolling. Now onto our recap. I really do believe that our stories are windows to the soul. The stories that we share with students humanize us. Our stories can also be lessons for students. When students share their stories with us, we get to see them in a different light. It's almost as if stories help bridge the distance between teachers and students. And when we meet in the middle of that bridge, students want to come along with us to learn what we want to share with them. But also, we are more able to reflect students' experiences in our instruction. I realize that every single time I share a personal story to teach a content or a life skill, the room becomes absolutely silent. And you could tell they're so engaged. In their stories, we come to see their assets. Through their stories, we affirm our belief in them. Thank you, Emily, for the gift of your stories and those of your students. They're helping us meet in the middle of the bridge. In the next episode, we'll start a new series, which is the LGBTQ plus series. First up is Dr. Jose Medina. You won't want to miss that conversation. Thank you for listening. I'll see you soon. Be safe and be rooted in peace. It's your turn to play Traffic Light Teaching. Tweet at me either your red, yellow, or green light from this particular episode. Your beautiful smile, your
up and shine.